For a little while, I worked as a waiter, as a server at a fancy restaurant. A lot of people didn't think that was a respectable kind of a job, but it kept food on the table. Welcome to Across the Table, the podcast of Hannibal the Magician. Hi there. Welcome back. I'm really glad that you opted to listen today. Got an interesting story. Um, today, as the time of recording this, is my mother's birthday. Um, she would have been 81 this year. And uh, I can only imagine she would be delighting in her great-grandchildren and to see where I'm going, <clears throat> though she may not have approved I'm going to take a step backwards here and tell you a little bit about growing up and about my mom. And I'm not going to tell you the big story. I'll save that for another time, which is a, it's a very difficult story to tell, although I find myself telling it uh, almost nightly during the seance because it, uh, it, it tells a little something about me as well. And I'll share that with you in a future episode. But um, I was... Uh, an unexpected pregnancy for uh, a girl who I don't know. Uh, my birth mother was 16 years old in 1965 and was, uh, from what I know, from the little that I know about her, because I have not <clears throat> pursued um, any further uh, information. I haven't gone seeking her out. I haven't gone seeking a lot about what her home life was like Um I had the opportunity, and I have been curious a lot over the course of my life, but the curiosity never rose to the point of, I don't know, wanting to interfere or wanting to insert myself into uh, back into her life for whatever reason. And I, uh, of course, I naturally I wonder if she wonders about me, but uh, that's really neither here nor there, and also a, perhaps a topic for another episode, but... Uh, my birth mother was 16 years old, and she was sent to, um, I don't know what you would call it these days, a halfway house. A, uh, well, it was, a, it was a, a convent. It was a place run by nuns. And so she stayed there for a few months, and I was born in July of 1965, literally at the hands of a holy woman in a holy place. I was then uh, relegated off to the Children's Home Society, which is or was a uh, uh, company that hooked up parents that could not have children and wanted to adopt children with uh, children in need of, uh, of a home. Uh, so, born, uh, born a bastard. Um, my parents first saw me in September of 1965. Um, for whatever reason, a couple of months that they took, I guess, you know, they... Uh, all the uh, health things and this uh, vaccination things and all the things that happen when uh, when one is an infant. And um, my mother and father requested a boy uh, as their as their first choice, and so they were notified that one had been born and would be available for consideration around September. And um, from what I understand. Uh, I, they were the third uh, couple that viewed me 
the first two said no, <laughs> and uh, and so the the parents that I uh, that that actually uh, took me in saw me in September, and uh, my mother said that they brought them into the room to see me, and I was in a dress, uh, which confused my mother because of course they had requested a boy, but. She loved to tell the story that she walked in, and here I am uh, in a very fancy dress. And it, it, that, this would be the first, but certainly not the last time, that the clothes that I was wearing would consor- concern my parents or, or give them pause. But she said, you know, they checked, and uh, here, you know, here I am, a boy in a dress. <laughs> and um, the, uh, the issue, I think, that had happened was that uh, during, during my birth, um, there was a there was a complication. There was a uh, some kind of an issue, and I had to be delivered using uh, lower forceps, which, as I understand, is rather like a like a pair of tongs that uh, you uh, you attach to the infant's head and, and help guide them down the birth canal. And there was some nerve damage that happened on the left side of my face. I'm sorry, on the right side of my face, the, that, that causes it to droop a little bit. You, if, you, if you watch me talk, um, you'll notice that uh, if I talk for a long time, especially during shows or long speeches or things, the right side of my lips will start to droop. They just get tired easier, and they, and they slope a little bit. And um, during the pandemic, after I got my first vaccination, the, the vaccination caused uh, cerebral palsy on the left side of my face. Um, and that <laughs> having both sides slightly paralyzed is, is quite unsettling. Um, it got, you know, the, the cerebral palsy got better and I, I gained strength on my face, although I cannot, um, I cannot completely close my left eye and I cannot completely close the left side of my mouth unless I really, really concentrate or, or assist with it, which means, uh, Often when showering, I will end up with soap in my mouth and my eyes because can't quite close them. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, but that's the facts. And apparently the first two families passed on adopting me because of the slight paralyzation of my face. But they took me in, uh, Robert and Susan Hannibal, Bob and Sue, and they, they brought me up in their own way and you know, uh, white, middle-class, Southern American family. They, uh, they were married for 15 years. Um, and I do not know the details because they were not very open about why they split. But they split when I was about 13 years old. My sister was seven. And, uh, and then went on their own way with their own lives. Uh, my mother loved to sing, although she never really... She would sing in church, uh, the, the various churches that we attended. Uh, she was always in the choir, and she would do solos, and she had a really lovely, uh, magnificent voice. She was in a couple of musicals that I recall when I was a kid. One, um, uh, gosh, I can't remember. The, uh, I think one of them was called What About Love? It was a semi-spiritual musical um, no, it's all about love. Is that? It's one of the two. It's all about love, or what about love, or something. It wasn't a Tina Turner biopic, so probably 
it's all about love. I think it's probably the more accurate. Anyway, she had a couple of solos in that, and I remember watching her and just being really impressed, uh, even as a kid, at her ability. And, you know, it was my mom, so I was going to, you know, she was always going to get good reviews from me. Um, and, and maybe part of that ignited the passion that I had eventually for being on stage and talking to people or doing for people or whatever. But um, she uh, she wound up marrying a, a Methodist minister or as her second husband. And naturally, being in, in that position, she got the opportunity to do more solos in uh, in church and and I know she sang a bunch of different songs. The one that really stands out to me, um, that I, I heard her sing on several different occasions, was one called "How Big Is God," and it's a it's a very gospely kind of a kind of a write up, and it's it's a big voice and big breath, and and uh, and she did it really beautifully, and and. Uh, even just thinking about it, I'd get a little weepy just in the uh, the effort and the beauty that she put into it when she would sing. So when uh, when she was married to the minister, uh, she'd have a solo every week. You know, the choir would sing, and when I say choir, he had a very small church. He had, and I and I mean very small. If we were if we were fifty people, uh, you know, I'd be very surprised. Um, and she, he got shuffled around a bit, uh, quite frankly, because he was just wasn't very good. <laughs> but uh, uh, there would be the, the choir of you know four or five people, and then my mom would do a solo because you know she's the preacher's wife and she had a beautiful voice and and uh, yeah. So middle of the week, she would go over from the uh, from the pastorage from the. the the home of the pastor walk over to the church and she would rehearse for an hour or two every like Thursday and Friday before uh, before the service came up on Sunday she'd go through her song she'd decide what she was going to sing and she'd rehearse those things and she'd have a lot of fun with it and often I would come home from school or I'd get home from school around the time she was rehearsing and I would sneak in the back and, and sit back where I could listen to her and watch her uh, watch her do her thing, you know. And there was a um, there was a company out of Atlanta that um, would send uh, backing tracks on cassette tape to uh, to churches that had you know the people that had solos or didn't have an orchestra or didn't even have someone who could play the organ or the piano or whatever. They would uh, they would sell you backing tracks for religious songs, and so she had a little a little briefcase full of cassettes of different songs that she would rehearse and then put forward to the uh, to the congregation. And about once a month or so, she'd get five or six new ones and go through them and see what what suited her fancy, you know. But I uh, I never got tired of just sitting in the in the back pews, kind of over in the shadowy part you know I, I didn't want to interrupt her and I certainly didn't want to uh, I didn't want her to catch me watching I guess is what I'm gonna say so I you know off to the side a little bit where she wasn't facing and, and I would just sit and listen to her sing and uh, it was pretty amazing one time and this is kind of the point of the story this is where I'm going with it but one time I came in, and she had not yet really started. She was setting up, and she was setting the stage, and she was 
doing her vocal exercises, and I, I sat off to the side, and she um, she uh, did a, a version, uh, kind of a, a more um, faster-paced version of Amazing Grace, which I thought was a lot of fun. And she went through that a couple of times and got to where, I guess, she got to where she liked what she was doing with it, and then she turned up the volume and, and just, you know, let it let it happen. Just, you know, uh, let her voice out completely and and, uh, and let the music play. And it was just, it was really, really amazingly, intensely beautiful. And I, I really kind of thought, you know, to myself, I'm like, you know, you, you could record these. You could, you could, you could go to other places and, and do this thing. You, you could, if you wanted, you know, you could, uh, you could have a lot of fun with the, the gift you've been given and you could certainly touch a lot of people, you know, a lot more than, than what you're doing right now. But yeah, I'm going to put a note on that and come back to that thought in a second. But she finished up with, uh, she finished up with the amazing grace and she, uh, kind of, you know, took a little water and went over to her cassette player and she opened her briefcase and put another cassette in the uh, in the player. And then my mother, this uh, wonderful, spiritual, down-to-earth, middle-class, white America, southern roots, Methodist, uh, God-fearing, caring woman, um, started playing the music. And I didn't recognize it at first. I thought I was waiting for, you know, waiting for the gospel thing to come through. And uh, what came out of the speakers was, uh, was Proud Mary uh, by Ike and Tina Turner uh, and Creedence Clearwater Revival and Bob Seger and a bunch of other people have recorded that song. But the, the, the melody came out and, uh, left a good job in the city, you know, and, and, and my mom started singing. And the song, that, that particular version, the Ike and Tina Turner version, starts off very slow, nice and easy, you know, in, in her famous introduction, nice and easy. And so mom is sitting up there singing, left a good job in the city. And I'm like, this is not, you know, this is not going to show up in church. This is not going to, I can't imagine her, her doing this in this particular church and these kind of people and the, the very, very conservative uh, little congregation that we had. I, this, man, this is not going to play, but, but here she goes, you know. And in this version, it goes through the whole slow wind-up and everything else, and then the music kicks in and the horns kick in, and it goes like totally, you know, just that, that funky soul, heart-grabbing, Ah, Motown sound and my mother started belting it out at that uh, at that level and not only that she was totally she was dancing with the music she was doing the shimmies she was doing the the hip swings she was doing everything else just totally losing herself in the music and it was incredible and my jaw was on the floor just just watching this this thing happen and uh and she's you know, she's she's doing the she's walking up and down the steps and at the at the at the beginning at, at the front of the church at the altar you know and and playing it like she's playing it to to Vegas or to some big arena or everything else she's pointing up into the up into the balcony which there there was no balcony but just just absolutely 
enraptured in what she was doing. So much joy. and In fact, a lot more joy coming off of her persona, coming out of her throat, coming across the seats. A lot more joy than I'd ever seen her give in any of the gospel songs that she sang. She cranked it up. It went to 11, and she played it nice and rough. And when it ended, I could not help myself. I started clapping, and she was so embarrassed, and she was so... She, I don't know if she was pretending to be upset or actually upset. You need to tell me when you're coming in. I was, that wasn't something I, I wanted anybody to see. And I, and I get that. I understand that. But I was just so amazed and so proud and so, uh, yeah, so moved. And I felt closer to my mom in that moment than I think I ever did at any other time. Just because I knew that feeling. I know that what that feels like to be up on stage and to be in that control and doing and doing what you do there. And I made a comment uh, earlier here that, you know, the congregation wasn't all that large and there weren't that many people to hear her sing or to hear what she was doing. And I thought to myself that she really ought to be playing bigger places or more places and more people ought to get the opportunity to hear my mother sing. But maybe that's exactly the audience that she was made for. Perhaps there were people's lives that she touched because she was doing small venues, because she was just reaching out to the particular congregation that she had in front of her. I mean, my stage, my theater, what I'm doing right now, my maximum audience is 12 people. But I want to reach every single one of them, and I'm, and I'm very pleased that I'm reaching those people. I'm not striving to do bigger venues or to do Vegas or to do, uh, you know, high-dollar corporate things anymore. I'm, I want to, to play to my audience and use my gift the way it was intended. And I really guess my mother taught me that. My mother taught me that whether it is 20 people in front of you or 1,000 people in front of you or two people in front of you. You give everything that you've got. You give the gift that you've been given, and it does not matter how many in the audience, because the universe will take care of that. The creator, the one that gave you the gift, will take care of that. Make sure that the ears that are listening are the ones that are supposed to be listening and needing to hear what it is that you have to say, what it is that you have to sing. Never saw the good side of the city until I hitched a ride on the riverboat queen. Light your fire and let it burn and let it shine. My mother was taken away way too early. She passed away at the age of 50, and it's a very difficult thing to live longer than your parents ever did. Uh, I'm grateful that she chose me. I'm grateful for the time that we did get together. Her murder is one of the uh, one of the pillars and, 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 and waypoints on the road of my life and certainly something I, I cannot get past, something that affects a lot of the things that I do. 
but I talk about her every single night in my show, in my seance. Her name comes up. Her photograph is on the wall. And every once in a while, you just listen to Tina singing Proud Mary, thinking about those shimmies. So that's the story for today. I'll tell you a different one some other time, one that's very difficult to tell, one that's very difficult to hear, but it's part of the legacy, right? And I want my kids and my grandkids to have the legacy and to hear it. And all of those of you, I think there's, for the podcast, I think I have something in the vicinity of 70, 75 subscribers. And I'm very, very grateful for every single one of you. And I'll keep doing this as long as you're listening and probably even longer than that because I got to talk, right? Beginning in May, we're doing five nights a week at the Seance Chamber at the Stanley Hotel and beginning in June, six nights a week and uh, onward through the summer. I hope the spring is, uh, is springing where you are. I hope that uh, you are surrounded by people that care I hope you're surrounded by people that will sing right out loud in front of you, unashamed. Go dance in the streets. I hope there's love where you are. I may not know exactly where this road is taking me. I know that I'm exactly right where I'm supposed to be. The journey is love, full of joy.
is love.